Tonight, I'm going to talk about commitment. What are we committed to? What are you committed to in your life? Commitments really define a life in a way. And first of all, in, in full disclosure, why am I talking about commitment? I'll, I'll say that um, it's funny. Christmas is a holiday that means a lot to me at different levels, but I'm a real Scrooge about New Year's. Um, and in particular, I'm cynical about the whole enterprise of New Year's resolutions, which seem to me based a lot on ideals and passion, but not really on commitment. And so I wanted to talk about commitment, which is so important in, in spiritual unfolding, in spiritual life in general, especially committing to a spiritual practice of some kind. So I'll start by saying, you know, I've been meditating for years, and, and over the years people have, you know, discovered this and have talked to, you know, talked to me about their experiences with meditation. And so over the years, I've heard people say, you know, I try to meditate, I meditate when I can, I meditate when it's convenient, when I have time. Um, some people might even say, I meditate more often than not, or, you know, over the last six months, 90% of the days I meditated, you know, which sounds pretty good in some ways. But it's funny, if we, if we want to understand our level of commitment, I think it's, it's very helpful to reframe it in terms of what would that sound like in a committed romantic relationship, an interpersonal commitment. You know, if, if I'm committed to a woman and she says, Mike, you know, how faithful are you? If I'm saying things like, well, I'm faithful some of the time, I'm faithful... I'm more faithful than not. I'm faithful when it's convenient for me. Like, none of that is commitment, you know. And, and even, you know, 90% of, of the days in the past six months I've been faithful to you. That doesn't count as commitment, you know. As we know in a romantic relationship, commitment means 100%. It means every day without fail, no exceptions, even when it's inconvenient, even when it's hard, even when it's challenging. That, that's the standard for commitment expected in a romantic relationship. And what fascinates me about the time we live in is that we have such intense expectations about what commitment means in a romantic relationship, really lofty expectations but then it looks very different when we're talking about commitment to ourselves and we tend to be much more sloppy or partial or, or much more ready to make excuses. And I think I would say that the expectation of romantic relationships, that's actually what commitment is. Commitment does mean 100% of the time, no exceptions, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult. Um, and it's, it's very hard to cultivate that. You know, it's challenging to cultivate that with respect to oneself, with respect to, say, committing to a spiritual practice, this sort of thing. 
So I'll say, first of all, it's funny in a committed romantic relationship. Of course, if I, you know, promise I'm going to be faithful and then I'm not, if I, if I have a, a failing of not being faithful, that's a betrayal. That will be experienced by the other person as a betrayal. And I think we all, we all really get at a deep level. There's something really horrible about betraying someone. It, it doesn't feel good to be betrayed. It doesn't feel good to be the one who does the betraying. You know, you, you want to be able to take it back and you can't take it back. You know, so that it's almost unambiguous that how bad it is to betray someone else. But I think we really underestimate what it means to betray ourselves. And the way I would say it is, you know, every time we're promising, you know, we're saying things, you know, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z, and we don't follow through. It's like deeper parts of us are watching. And they're watching, you know, how faithful is Mike's word? How much does Mike's word actually mean? Um, One of the four agreements is simply be impeccable with your word. Very easy to say, you know, very hard to do. Um, When we can carry out a commitment, when we can live through a commitment, um, it creates this kind of deep flow of trust at a primal level of the self, like some primary level of the self knows it can trust ego and what ego is saying. And of course, if I were to betray myself, that, that flow of trust would stop. It would dry up and it would, might take years to rebuild again. You know, betrayal is, it's always hard to, to recover from betrayal, you know. And so one of the questions around commitment is how deeply do we trust ourselves? How deeply do we mean what we say? Um, It's not on the quote sheet, but Confucius often said one of his greatest fears was that his words would outstrip his actions. In other words, he'd find himself talking about an ideal that he wasn't actually able to live out in his behavior. So, and I'll also say there, there's this kind of interesting synergy between interpersonal commitment and commitment to oneself. Um, you know, if I can't commit to myself, what makes me think I'm going to be able to commit to somebody else, you know? And operationally, if I'm treating myself as someone not worthy of commitment, why should anyone else commit to me, you know? I think we live in a in an age in which there's a, a a strong tendency to blame and exteriorize problems, and you know certainly there are people in this society who will be complaining. You know, I'm ready to commit, but there's a there's a life partner that I can't find a life partner who's ready to commit. And I think I would would ask a person like that. Are you committed to yourself? What kind of commitment are you making to yourself? You know, and commitment attracts commitment in many ways.
So what does it mean to commit to ourselves? What does a commitment to oneself look like? Um, first of all, I will say that there are some people who are committed to physical exercise, and, that, and that's wonderful, but that's a little bit different if someone has a committed exercise routine. Um, that's a little more intrinsic. One way to say it is that if I'm committed to an exercise routine, I'm connected to, I'm, I'm committed to my body, but I'm not necessarily committed to who I am as a person, you know. And, and again, if we think about romantic relationship, you know, it doesn't sound like romantic commitment if I say to the woman, I'm committed to your body, you know. It, romantic relationship should be about, I'm committed to who you are as a person. And I think also another way to frame it is that, and again, if someone has, is committed to exercise, that's wonderful. Um, but there's many reasons, even if you're committed to exercise, there's many reasons, many days would come about when one would not be able to exercise. You know, if there's a, some sort of, sort of holiday and the gym is closed, or if you pull a muscle, or if you have COVID or some other sickness, you know, you'd be prevented from exercising. And that makes it different from meditation because, you know, a spiritual practice like meditation, it doesn't matter if it's a holiday. It doesn't matter if I'm sick. It doesn't matter if I have COVID. It doesn't matter if I'm in pain. I still have to meditate every day. You know, it's the nature of, a, of meditation or another spiritual practice that it will just keep going regardless of the obstacles, regardless of the difficulties, you know. And so one thing that is tricky about meditation and one, one or, or any committing to any spiritual practice, um, commitment, it's through commitment that we know ourselves. And in particular, it's through commitment that we wind up facing our demons. We wind up facing our deepest fears, our deepest pain. Now, this certainly happens in an ongoing committed romantic relationship. It will also happen in a committed meditation practice. Um, and I think a lot of people intuit this and they don't want to commit to themselves because they know they don't want to go to that place. You know, it's something that I've, I've said many times before in this sangha. I think that the adults who are alive now, and I include myself in this, I think we're the most spoiled cohort of adults that have ever walked the planet, you know. Um, and I think there's a, a wide kind of widespread sense of um, I don't want to feel the you know, the things that I don't want to feel, there's no way I'm going to feel those, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and I think many romantic relationships end because of that. Um, but I also think that, you know, it's a reason people do not want to, to commit to something like a meditation practice. But the truth is, when demons arise and I don't face them, there's a way that that inflicts a cost. It, in, it inflicts a cost <coughs> in my own life. It, it inflicts a cost on the people around me. You know, and... Really, we benefit not only ourselves, but we deeply benefit everyone around us 
when we're able to face those things, those, those hardest things to face within us. Another way to frame the value of meditation, and it will sound like a paradox when I say it, the value of commitment is that through commitment, we find freedom. And conventionally, that sounds like a paradox. Conventionally, you know, people talk about commitment as giving up their freedom or limiting their freedom. You know, I don't want to commit. I want to keep my freedom, you know, this sort of thing. Um, I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about this because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what freedom is. You know, I think if we asked a lot of people, you know, what does it mean to be free? People would say... Freedom means I can do what I want. And that's not a very good definition, you know. I mean, first of all, Buddhism makes very clear that if I'm living a life totally predicated on what I want, on following my desires, that's not even going to lead to happiness. It's certainly not going to lead to freedom. But it's an, another deeper level is there's a big difference between being free and the feeling of freedom. And we know this most powerfully from the psychology of addiction. You know, say if I am addicted to some chemical, I'm addicted to alcohol or drugs or something, and I'm totally in denial about it, I will claim that I am free. I have no problem. I'm free. I'm choosing to have this next drink, you know, this kind of thing. And of course, anyone looking from the outside would say, of course, I'm not free. They would see my dependence on the substance, you know, but I can't see it myself because that illusion of freedom is so powerful. And in fact, we often say about someone in recovery, the first step, the hardest step is admitting we have a problem. In other words, the first step is seeing through that very powerful and seductive illusion of freedom. And so... Those of us who are not addicted to a substance, to alcohol or drugs or something like that, are we addicted to states of mind? Are we addicted to thought loops, emotion loops that we run over and over and over again, you know? And do we think we're free as we're having those, those thought loops or emotion loops, you know? And isn't that very much like the... The, the illusion of freedom for an addict, you know? Ultimately, we're not free if there are demons that I want to face that I refuse to face. Like, if there's something in myself that I'm refusing to face, I'm not free, you know? Freedom is when I can be at peace with everything I am. Freedom is this kind of inner spaciousness where I can rest and and choose what is best for me, you know? And so rather than being the opposite of freedom, commitment, especially commitment to spiritual practice, is really what brings us toward freedom, makes freedom a possibility for us. So I'm going to close with a poem. I will share the quote sheet at this point.
So this is a challenging poem by David White. All the true vows are secret vows. The ones we speak out loud are the ones we break. There is only one life you can call your own and a thousand others you can call by any name you want. Hold to the truth you make with your body every day. Don't turn your face away. Hold to your own truth at the center of the image you were born with. Those who do not understand their destiny will never understand the friends they have made nor the work they have chosen nor the one life that waits beyond all others. In the lake, by the lake, in the woods, in the shadows, you can whisper that truth to the quiet reflection you see in the water. Whatever you hear from the water, remember. It wants you to carry the sound of its truth on your lips. Remember, in this place no one can hear you, Out of the silence, you can make a promise it will kill you to break. That way you'll find what is real and what is not. I know what I am saying. Time almost forsook me and I looked again. Seeing my reflection, I broke a promise and spoke for the first time after all these years in my own voice before it was too late to turn my face again. So a lot in that poem that we could talk about. But moving on to the quotes. Thomas More, St. Thomas More said, the ordinary acts we practice every day at home are of more importance to the soul than their simplicity might suggest. Goethe said, concerning all acts of initiative and creation, there is one elementary truth. The moment that one definitively commits oneself, then providence moves too. Phillips Brooks said, do not pray for easier lives, but pray to be stronger men. Do not pray for tasks equal to your power, but pray for power equal to your tasks. Then the accomplishing of your work shall be no miracle, but you shall be a miracle. Every day you shall wonder at yourself in the richness of life which has come to you by the grace of God. Albert Hubbard said, quite simply, if put to the pinch, an ounce of loyalty is worth more than a pound of cleverness. Les Brown said, you need to make a commitment and once you make it, then life will give you some answers. The Zen teacher, Taizen Dishimaru said, A simple and well-ordered life is not, however, synonymous with routine. Zen teaching always emphasizes creativity in the circle of daily life and the repeated tasks done every day, but each day differently. There should be a fresh breeze, a freshness born of the discovery and deepening of our sense of things that we too often take for granted. Joseph Worthland said, valued companionship begins with personal commitment to be an exemplary companion. 
That's fascinating. You know, what, what would it mean simply to be an exemplary companion to others? The author Madeline Engel said, if we commit ourselves to one person for life, this is not, as many people think, a rejection of freedom. Rather, it demands courage to move into the, all the risks of freedom, the risks of love which is permanent, into that love which is not possession but participation. Sammy Davis Jr. said, You always have two choices, your commitment versus your fear. Thich Nhat Hanh says, Peace begins with each one of us taking care of our bodies and minds every day. And it's those last two words in that quote that are so heavy. Every day, every day without fail, taking care of our minds and our bodies. Marion Woodman said, Self-knowledge comes through a relationship with and a commitment to something or someone beyond oneself, beyond the gratification of one's personal needs. Che Guevara said, We cannot be sure of having something to live for unless we are willing to die for it. Wayne Dyer said, There's no scarcity of an opportunity to make a living at what you love. There's only a scarcity of the resolve to make it happen. The conductor, classical conductor Ricardo Muti said, Nobility of spirit has more to do with simplicity than ostentation, wisdom rather than wealth, commitment rather than ambition. Author Gary Zuckoff said, There's no other way to change something or someone for the better except to occupy it first. The only person you can occupy is yourself. That's why the only person who you can change for the better is yourself. Without your decision to change and your commitment to change, you will not change. Jeffrey Gittimer said, you don't earn loyalty in a day. You earn loyalty day by day. George Feierstein said, yoga is a gradual process of replacing our unconscious patterns of thought and behavior with new, more benign patterns that are expresses of the higher powers of virtue of, and virtues of enlightenment. It takes time to accomplish this far-reaching work of self-transformation, and therefore practitioners of yoga must first and foremost practice patience. Enlightenment, or liberation, is not realized in a matter of days, weeks, or months. We must be willing to commit to an entire lifetime of yogic practice. There must be the basic impulse to grow, regardless of whether or not we will achieve liberation in this lifetime. It's one of yoga's fundamental tenets that no effort is wasted. Even the slightest attempt at transforming ourselves makes a difference. It is our patient, cumulative effort that flowers into enlightenment sooner or later. Salgya Rinpoche said, The most important thing is not to get trapped in what I see everywhere in the West, a shopping mentality. Shopping around from master to master, teaching to teaching, without any continuity or real sustained dedication to any one discipline. Nearly all the great spiritual masters of all traditions agree that the essential thing is to master one way, one path to the truth, by following one tradition 
with all your heart and mind to the end of the spiritual journey, while remaining open and respectful to the insights of others. In Tibet, we used to say, knowing one, you accomplish all. The modern faddish idea that we can always keep our options open and so never commit ourselves to anything is one of the greatest and most dangerous delusions of our culture and one of ego's most effective ways of sabotaging our spiritual search. Author Paul Paolo Colo said, Freedom is not the absence of commitment, but the ability to choose and commit myself to what is best for me. David Nickturn said, Sometimes in the subway I think if everyone had got a tattoo with a Buddha mantra actually practiced every day, enlightened society would not be too far off. Bell Hook said, Genuine love is rarely an emotional space where needs are instantly gratified. To know love, we have to invest time and commitment. Dreaming that love will save us, solve our problems, or provide a steady state of bliss or security only keeps us stuck in a wishful fantasy, undermining the real power of love, which is to transform us. Many people want love to function like a drug, giving them an immediate and sustained high. They want to do nothing, just passively receive the good feeling. Sharon Salzberg said, if we fail, we don't need self-recrimination or blame or anger. We need a reawakening of our intention and our willingness to recommit to be wholehearted once again. Cornell West said, we have to recognize that there cannot be a relationship unless there is commitment, unless there is loyalty, unless there is love, patience, and persistence. The tennis player Martina Navratilova said, The difference between involvement and commitment is like ham and eggs. The chicken is involved. The pig is committed. Roy Bennett said, What helps you persevere is your resilience and commitment. And he also said, The level of success you will achieve will be in direct proportion to the depth of your commitment. Tony Robbins says, I believe life is constantly testing us for our level of commitment, and life's greatest rewards are reserved for those who demonstrate a never-ending commitment to act until they achieve. This level of resolve can move mountains, but it must be constant and consistent. As simplistic as this may sound, it is still the common denominator, separating those who live their dreams from those who live in regret. He also said, the only limit to your impact is your imagination and your commitment. Barack Obama said, a change is brought about because ordinary people do extraordinary things. Steve Maraboli said, set the standard. Stop expecting others to show you love, acceptance, commitment, and respect when you don't even show that to yourself. And finally, Reese Mamenikin said, To me, self-discipline is self-love. Your ability to have self-discipline around what it takes for you to have a sense that you are whole, good, and that you matter is about having the self-discipline to take care of yourself daily and giving yourself what you need consistently every day, even when you don't feel like it, to do that daily.